Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. We are so glad that you are joining us this evening. Uh, my name is Rochelle. Um, yeah, tonight we're just going to try and answer some of the questions that we received on our online platform. Uh, there are quite a few questions. But if you um, would like to, maybe if you think of a question and you would like us to, to get to that question, please just post it in the chat. And when we have time, we'll, um, we'll try and bring it into the talk as well. We are joined by quite a few very, um, yeah, quite a few very intelligent ladies tonight. And yeah, we know that this is going to be such a blessed session where we can just glean from one another um, and learn from all of the experts that are on our panel tonight. So, Susan, um, if you could please pray for us and we can start. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are present, God, and that you are with us, and yeah, Lord, that we can know you and be known by you, Father. And God, we ask, Lord, that you you come and you know, just give us wisdom and insights in an understanding into understanding ourselves, understanding the people around us better, Father. Um, Oh God, we just thank you, Lord, for the skills that you're going to give us this evening, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that um, that every word spoken will really be for encouragement and understanding, um, to build resilience and to learn how to function well, God. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, awesome. Thanks. Um, thanks, Rochelle. Um, my name is Mezen, for those of you that don't know me. Um, I'd just like to quickly recap last week, we started the conversation um, around grief and trauma and the expected natural stages of these, of, of processing these. Um, uh, Miranda joined us last week and Amory, are both psychologists, and we really, really learned so much from them. Um, we also t talked about resilience, which is our ability to bounce back um, after going through trauma or grief or any difficult circumstances. And if you missed, this conversation, it was recorded and um, it is available on our link tree under podcasts and um, you can look for it there. If you'd like us to send you the, um, the video recording of that, you can just send us an email um, at the bottom. If you scroll right down to the bottom on link tree, there is a little um, email envelope um, icon. You can click on that and just send us an email and I can send you the details. Um, we also have a a list of resources um, and contact details for for help um, of psychologists and counselors, groups that um, give amazing um, data and information around mental health issues, um, great books that the previous um, panel recommended on resilience and coping. Um, and if you'd like that list of resources, you can also send us an email um, and then we can send you that list of resources. Yeah, so for this evening, we received awesome questions last week, um, and the great majority was about burnout and anxiety, a topic that I think most of us can relate to um, in some way or another. So we'd just like to introduce the panel who will be joining us this evening. On the couch, we have Jade, um, Dr. Jade Bauer, who is a, a dear friend, um, but also um, a very qualified doctor. She completed her, her medical degree in 2012 and did her internship um, at Joburg J before starting her registrar training in um, psychiatry at Chris Honey Baragwanath Hospital 
and she has attained her master's degree in psychiatry from the University of Witwatersrand um, and is currently a consultant psychiatrist at Helen Joseph with a keen interest in real psychiatry, <laughs> in, uh, in forensic psychiatry, patient adv advocacy and schizophrenia. Um, I think the reason why we admire her a lot is because her heart and her passion is really to be an advocate for those who are often misunderstood because they're sick. Um, and her heart is really to help those who are sick but aren't able to be a voice for themselves and to be defended and to be spoken for and to get healthy, to be able to function well or better in society. Um, and then we're also online joined by Anne Rodriguez. And if you could maybe just wave. <laughs> and is also a dear friend, um, an occupational therapist who's been working um, in an acute psychi psychiatric facility specializing in mood disorders. She also completed her psychodrama degree um, in working through trauma in a group setting. She's, as I said, an occupational therapist, been in private practice for three years, and her passion is really working through childhood trauma, shame, and vulnerability. So Anne will also be adding to the conversation and answering questions and giving us guidance around resources and who to go to for help. Um, and welcome, we're glad that you're here. So we also have two other um, ladies that will be joining us online. Uh, the first one is Handa. Um, Handa is a pastoral therapist. She has degrees in music, psychology, and theology. Um, she's passionate about finding ways to use counseling as a discipling tool and to equip the body of Christ to do so as well. And she's really been actively involved with our counseling here at Chauffeur Johannesburg. She's also trained quite a few of our lay counselors and referred quite a few people um, in our congregation to Handa as well. Um, yeah, she follows a holistic approach to counseling, dealing with body, soul, and spirit. And it's truly a hard to see people come to a place of wholeness. Um, so Handa, we're really glad that you are also part of our panel and um, that you're sharing with us tonight. And another friend of mine is Gerda Taljaert. I don't know if Gerda, guys, um, if you can see Gerda, there's Gerda. I hope you can see her waving. Um, uh, she is in Shelford, Johannesburg. She has got a degree. I think many people don't know this about Gerda. I think we only just see her. But she's got a degree in theology. Um, and she's also a pastoral counselor. Um, she's been actively involved in ministry, in church ministry for 20 years. And she's got a special interest in counseling and mentoring, especially young adults and also intercession and leadership. She's quite, um, quite an intercessor and really trusts God for, for guidance in intercession. intercession. Um, and she's also currently a, a counselor on the interna international online platform called Moby G. I think she will give us some information about that as well. Um, so it's an app where you can go, you can log in and you can actually um, speak to people and get counseling on that app. And like she said, she's also a loving wife and mom, raising, trying to raise two resilient daughters. Um, and these are really women that we can all look up to and women that we all really look up to that have done so much um, in many people's lives. Mm -hmm. So, Mason will be facilitating the questions for us tonight. Mm -hmm. um, last week we, we, we looked at a specific topic, dived into that, gave a lot of information around that. Um, tonight we're rather going to be answering specific questions and if the, the questions you feel you still have a question about that please post it in the chat um, 
but let's get through all all the questions. Maybe your question is in some of the questions. Um, but Jade is going to be, be answering the first few questions, and as we go along, um, the others will jump in. Awesome. So question one. <laughs> Stress, anxiety, burnout, and depression are so many terms. What are these exactly? So I think that understanding the individual terms in itself is, is really important so that we know which avenue to address when we're facing these kind of difficulties. So if we think about stress, firstly, stress is essentially that feeling of being overwhelmed, um, and it's typically in response to an identifiable cause. So if we're feeling overwhelmed at work, or if there's a difficult situation that we're facing, um, the emotion that we feel in response to that would be described as stress. Anxiety, on the other hand, is when we don't necessarily have an identifiable stress, but the feeling of being anxious and the feeling of being worried is, is present. Um, these are situations that we might perceive in our minds, these might be feared situations. So anxiety tends to be in the absence of an identifiable stressor. The anxiety itself would then be, it originates as thoughts, so worrying about the event or, or perceived event or potential outcome. And then this constant rumination about these thoughts then manifests in certain behaviors. So the feeling of being anxious, the sweating, the shaking hands, the feeling like you can't speak, so that would be anxiety. Fear, then, in comparison to anxiety, is the feeling that we have and the response that we have to a real threat, perceived threat. And fear is completely normal. Fear is important. Fear causes us to act. So we, most people are aware of the fight, flight, freeze response, and this is typically in response to an external threat, and, and its goal is to protect us. Burnout, then, is a relatively new concept and it's it's actually we can go into it a bit more in detail but it's essentially mental and physical fatigue and um, in response to prolonged stress that we then experience okay only only stress or does does anxiety contribute or is anxiety similar to like prolonged anxiety does that contribute to, to that not necessarily. Okay. Um, burnout and depression are more uh, linked. Okay. So prolonged burnout can lead to depression. Okay. Depression and anxiety are linked, but the burnout and anxiety aren't specifically elements that go hand in hand. Burnout was actually originally coined first in healthcare settings and specifically defined for people who are working in what they call the help, the help providing um, fields. Mostly because in these fields, the expectation is that the individuals providing these cares would neglect their own needs because we're taught that the needs of others would come, come above our own. And, and that's essentially where, where burnout first originated. Obviously, subsequent to that, it has spread into other areas um, as societal demands increase. Um, and people in any field where there's increased um, consumer demands or increased performance demand, that burnout has become quite more general term applicable to more than just um, health professions. Okay. Can I just ask a question? Sorry, it's not Emily. But I, I think a lot of people also, also mention that there are also physical things that happen 
do them. So some people would get um, heart palpitations and those type of things. And I think there have been quite a few friends that say that they actually went to the doctors to get like, their hearts checked because they thought they were having heart attacks. Um, so that this type of thing happened a lot, that you, there's that intense, it's not just, you know, you're like nervous or sweating, but real serious physical things that you think you are actually getting sick. Does that, that happen a lot to people or is that just about your body coping? So those physiological responses are actually quite, if we, if I get the scenario of we are in a situation where a line comes across our path, for example, that would be a fearful situation. And our body is adapted um, and designed to help us deal with that stressor immediately. So what happens physiologically is when our, when our we call it the sympathetic nervous system, is activated, the different things happen. So we have certain blood vessels that are dilating versus constricting. We have blood being redistributed to certain areas. I can remember in med school them teaching us that the blood is going to go from your stomach to your brain because it's not more it's not important to be hungry in that moment it's not important to <laughs> think <different>. and act <laughs> our yeah. eyes are going to dilate because we need to survey our environment around us and um, we start feeling agitated and, and edgy and we want to move because our body is gearing us to take in our environment make a very quick decision and probably run in a different direction and so those are appropriate responses provided they occur in an appropriate situation and this is then where anxiety comes in and the concept of anxiety disorders, panic attacks, where these physical symptoms are happening in the absence of a stressor. And that's typically because of, we call it maladaptive thinking, so things like catastrophizing. What I mean by this is, oh my word, I'm late for this exam, I'm going to fail my whole degree, or overgeneralizing. So and so shouted at me at work today, the whole company probably hates me, or things where we've just jumped to the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And these thoughts, as we ruminate on them, obviously that triggers a stress response in our body, and we then have these physiological responses, but it's not appropriate. And so often people experience those things the heart palpitations, the sweating feeling like they can't breathe, feeling like they're outside of their bodies, and many times do seek medical help because they think it's a heart it's attack or yeah. an asthma attack <laughs> yeah. or something of that nature. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's like a snowy effect because then you catastrophize even more. Now you're yes. very sick and it's going to happen. Something yeah. must be wrong with me. I'm having yeah. all these physical symptoms. So it's not just in my mind, yeah. it's also in my body. So I must be dying if we go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we can make light of it, but it is something that happens really often and really commonly. And it's a very common presentation um, in, an, in a casualty or an emergency department that people are presenting with anxiety attacks. Sure. I think on that, on that note, I mean, obviously the anxiety in general would then be, um, like you said, not just a response without an actual threat. But our current circumstances give us all an actual current threat, like whether it's the looting or whether it's the pandemic that we're going through, lockdown, um, isolating, all these different things. We are 
or can be perceived as actual threats. Yes. Sometimes they are. Um, we're getting sick, people are getting mm -hmm. sick, there's a lot of grief and loss around us. So those perceived threats, how, what are, no, no, do, would you say that that is fear then? Or our response to that, would that be under anxiety? And what are some practical tips to overcome that? So I think it's important in the current situation or current times that we find ourselves in to also kind of be a bit more lenient with ourselves. As you say, what we're facing are genuine threats mm -hmm. and genuine fearful situations. I do think, though, that it's when it comes to something like prolonged fear um, or prolonged exposure to threatening yeah. situations, um, that in itself is traumatic. And it's, there's different approaches and, and it could go into a whole different branch or different topic of um, trauma and stressor-related kind of disorders and PTSD. Um, but I think what's, what we should be mindful of in the current situation is in this moment, we're facing very difficult situations and to be mindful of that fear, to recognize that fear and where that fear comes from and what that fear is geared toward. And I think we often think about fear as being a weakness, but actually fear is a very normal and very protective response and it plays a very important role and we should be mindful of that. And so to recognize, sure, I'm actually really feeling very scared about the situation that I'm, that I'm facing and then thinking, break it down. What about the situation is scary for me? Is it because I don't know when it's going to end? Is it because um, someone I know is sick? Is it because of the looting and, and is my business going to be affected or whatever the case may be? And, and I think just a practical thing to do would be to write down your specific fears, to sit with them and analyze them. Sometimes we also kind of just get overwhelmed and we become fearful and we think we're fearful about everything, but if we actually sit down with it and, and write it down, then we're able to categorize it a bit better and we're also able to be more mindful about it and address each specific point as we go through it. And, and to think about the fear, its origin or its specific cause, perhaps think, is there actually something constructive I can do about it? Um, practical things like, um, let me give an example. So you're scared about catching COVID, <laughs> take the necessary precautions, um, wash hands, wear masks, maybe restrict visiting, those kinds of things. So where we can make plans, then do that. Um, but also to recognize what will also pass with time yeah. and not kind of convince ourselves that we, there must be something wrong because we feel this way. It's also appropriate mm -hmm. and at times to feel the way that, that we're feeling. Mm -hmm. I think you, you touched on, I think the next two questions are so related. Um, when we're surrounded by so, so much fear or actual threats, how do we how do we filter the the noise in the world? Like how do we filter it to protect protect our own state of mind? I think just to um, just to prevent stress turning into something more serious. 
many practical ways <laughs> that we can filter. Um, I think possibly the most obvious and perhaps the, the most easy or at hand thing that we can do is take a break <laughs> from social media, from news, um, you know, just if you're recognizing that you're really feeling overwhelmed by, by what's happening at the moment, it's okay mm -hmm. to just switch off mm -hmm. for a little bit, to have a digital fast or just kind of filter out the information that we're receiving because mm -hmm. all of these things are happening if we're constantly mm -hmm. focusing, thinking about meditating on it, obviously it's just going to build up those feelings mm -hmm. of anxiety. Yeah. So to also learn to say when someone says, what do you think about the current political situation or whatever to say, I'm actually haven't really been reading the news very much lately or it's not really something that interests me at the moment. I don't, not really interested in getting into that kind of conversation right now um, and then to replace the time that you spend <laughs> reading news reading social media replace that with things that build you up and that fill your tank either hobbies or things like actually just doing exercises and even practical things and making sure that we're eating well sleeping well all of these these are natural ways that our body actually mm -hmm. deals with stress um, and kind of with anxiety to, to sleep, to eat, to exercise. Um, and then something else that's also quite important, and I think especially in today's era of technology that we really neglect is our own boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, because we're always accessible, it's so mm -hmm. easy to pick up the phone, contact someone, to chat mm -hmm. over WhatsApp or, or whatever the case may be. But to also say, um, I'm not going to answer texts with you mm -hmm. this time and this time. Yeah. Or people working from home are also experiencing this being really difficult at the moment because there's no boundary between being at work and being at home. Mm -hmm. So to be mindful and deliberate about mm -hmm. this is the time I switch on my computer, this is the time yeah. that I switch off. And to just focus on making that distinction between this is what's expected of me and what I need to do, this is my downtime. Mm. I think um, I'd just love to hear from Anne, maybe Anne you could just give us a few um, just practical tips on, on boundaries when it comes to self-care and just filtering out the noise of the world. Uh, maybe you could give two or three tips. Yes, I love that you mentioned that Jay, that's so important, especially in the time that we're living in now. So. I think one of the big things when we speak about boundaries is the thought of if I establish boundaries and say it comes down to saying no. And if I say no to someone, people will think, oh, but I'm selfish or um, people will think ill of me. I think the reality is that with the busyness of society and things that are just so overwhelming, you need to prioritize your mental health and your wellness. Um, because that's also important. So establishing boundaries is looking at your capacity and saying, okay, having a balanced, I want to be balanced. My lifestyle should be balanced. So I want to be there for people, but the care that I give for people um, and the love that I have for people, I also need to apply that to myself. So where am I scheduling? So this is the big word that I always tell 
people is where are you scheduling time for you? So the boundary would be time. I'm setting time aside for myself to either go for a walk in Delta Park or I am going to do my nails or um, for the guys, I am going to watch a game or I don't know necessarily what is guys <laughs> so special. But something that is meaningful to you, you're scheduling time around that. And um, I love the thing about hobbies as well. What makes you come alive? Like what really makes you relax? Um, so looking at things like hobbies, um, self-care, um, yeah, it's something that's really, really important. But I think the big word for boundaries is, yes, communicating it with people, but also yourself and scheduling it. So scheduling self-care. Thanks, Anne. Another big question that we have, and I think um, often just to clarify, takes a lot of pressure off how we're feeling. Um, to, to know that I'm not dying, <laughs> this is normal, um, it's, it's what's happening around me and to really be in touch with, with the differences between what is, what is a problem and what is, an, what is not a problem. For those people that are, that are struggling with anxiety, what is the difference between anxiousness and anxiety and how do I explain to someone the feelings that I have when I'm struggling with anxiety that it's not just about being scared? That's a really great question. Um, interestingly, from a psychiatric perspective, <laughs> that's my passion, but um, anxiety disorders or, or you know, anxiety in general, despite not being labeled as a serious mental disorder, is actually being deemed one of the most debilitating of all the mental health care disorders. And one of the reasons for that is because it's so kind of covert. So people can be struggling with anxiety and dealing with these feelings. And on the outside, no one really sees much, and no one really understands. The impression is kind of like, oh, don't stress about it, don't worry about it. But anxiety as a disorder is really debilitating, um, in fact. And anxiousness, so if we are to break it into, into each component, anxiousness is feeling. I'm feeling anxious. What does that mean? I've got the butterflies. I feel a bit shaky. I feel like I've got that sense that something's not okay. I can't put my finger on it. That's what it means to be anxious. Many times when we're feeling anxious, there's also an identifiable cause. So I'm about to give a presentation at work, I'm about to write an exam, and we're thinking about that. We're thinking about all the possible outcomes and we try to predict what's gonna happen, how's it gonna play out, and the inability to control that results in us kind of feeling anxious. It becomes an anxiety disorder when the way that we feel kind of takes over our lives and it starts impacting our occupational function, so our performance at work, it impacts on our day-to-day -day function, our ability to just take care of ourselves, for example. What do I mean by this? 
I mean, being so anxious that I can't go to the shop to buy groceries, I can't leave my house, I can't use public transport, I can't speak in public. Mm -hmm. um, and also when it starts impacting on, on interpersonal kind of relationships. And the issue and the challenge with anxiety is it starts, we, we call them negative automatic thoughts. Um, and it starts, that's where the problem lies. The problem lies not anywhere physically in our body, but the problem lies in our thought processes mm -hmm. where our, we become unable to think about things in a positive light. So everything becomes catastrophic. Everything becomes threatening. Everything becomes scary. Everything becomes like, out of control. And this is all in the absence of any specific thing that, that yeah. could be causing this. So for example, if someone suffers from a generalized, what we call a generalized anxiety disorder, the definition of this is a feeling of being tense, overwhelmed, agitated almost every day, or the criteria is for a period of over six months, but in the absence of any identifiable stresses. And these are your kinds of people who worry about everything. <laughs> they worry that something's going to happen to their family, they worry that they're going to be late for work, they worry about some distant person becoming sick, multiple things with no concrete evidence that any of these things are going wrong, but they worry about it all the time. And when we when we constantly think and constantly ruminate about things, our default then is to try and establish the outcome because our reflex to that is to want to control it. Mm -hmm. So then we start doing things like trying to predict the outcome, generalizing outcomes, catastrophizing the outcomes, thinking of all the worst case scenarios. And it becomes really difficult once you become, once you form the cycle of negative thoughts all the time to kind of snap out of it because these pathways become cemented in your brain um, and your thoughts literally loop on, on this we call it a cognitive, a worry circuit. Sure. Um, and it, it really is an actual physiological thing that the pathways in your brain become cemented to constantly have a negative perception of things. And obviously with that process, our body then responds in a stress response. Mm -hmm. And the more we stress, the more our cortisol go, goes up. And this is then where the physical symptoms start to manifest. So like I said earlier to you, Rochelle, about the heart palpitations, um, feeling edgy, feeling like we can't sleep, and feeling like we can't breathe. Some patients literally say that it feels like something's strangling them, they're choking, they cannot get in oxygen. Um, there's, a, there's a myriad of symptoms that mm. people can um, experience. Sometimes it can also manifest as physical illnesses. So with worsening health in terms of heart disease, um, issues with cholesterol, uh, diabetes, all these physical things that can then actually start to get wrong until it becomes a literal physical yeah. <laughs> issue. And like you said, it's not about being scared because if we're scared, we're scared of something. Mm -hmm. But if we're anxious, we don't necessarily know what we're anxious about. Mm -hmm. and, and therein lies the problem. Mm -hmm. I think I'd just like to um, just pause there for a second. Um, 
maybe you're you're on the call tonight and um, you can really relate with a lot of what Jade has just talked about um, concerning anxiety and you feel like shoot that ticks a lot of my boxes um, please send us an email so that we can give you a few resources and a few just just a few lifelines just mm. um, some places that you can ask for help some somebody you can call somebody that can call you um, one of these resources is the South African um, depression and anxiety group SADAG SADAG um, they have amazing talks amazing support groups a lot of resources a lot of information um, they have a great Facebook page that's very interactive um, so that's that's an immediate um, place that you can just go to for some help but if if what Jane has spoken about now is something that you're concerned about or um, yeah please send us an email so that we can talk to you we'd really love to to be there to support you um, another another place maybe Gerda, maybe you could also just share a little bit about um, maybe G at this point and and how that works Yes, thanks, Mason. Um, yes, I'm a, a, a counselor on the MobyG platform. It's an app that you download on your phone or your um, computer. And then um, anyone, it's international. So we get um, many people we don't know who they are. It's anonymously where they log in and they can just start, chat to us. It's a text-based um, counseling so um, you don't actually um, talk to the person you chat to them and text and um, yeah um, my experience with that is it's the app is really about caring and just listening sometimes to people um, and once they just start talking you can see the change happening in the text um, just acknowledging the emotions that um, Jay talked about I'm saying I'm afraid I am scared I'm I'm sick I lost a loved one I'm grieving and um, just starting to voice it and it makes a huge huge difference and um, they don't know who we are so it's also anonymous from our side and we never give that information to them but um, I think a lot of people are afraid to acknowledge um, openly the emotions to other people because they think it's not normal or I'm ashamed of it or that person can't think I'm struggling with depression um, and this app really opens up within the first minute or two people just opens up because they're not in an environment where they're judgmental so I think um, in more in face-to-face -face counseling it's really important to to make the person feel it's okay you can talk to me and, and even in friends uh, that practical tip is when you you're speaking to people in the church is um that non-judgmental way that you are talking to them makes a huge difference and just feeling loved um it's sad to see how many people log in onto our system and they really there's no one they can talk to so they're struggling with many issues and now they're in the lockdown and it makes it even worse because they are in isolation but um 
just allowing them to speak and voice the emotions, emo uh, to voice the trauma that they're going through makes a huge, huge difference. Thanks, Hara. Um, Handa, maybe maybe you could um, just touch on just the, the pathways that, that Jade was talking about now, just that repetitive negative, um, the, those repetitive negative thoughts and when it becomes overwhelming, maybe you could just share a bit about that. Yeah, or maybe also how to get out of it. <laughs> um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, can I just, uh, I, I just want to, uh, before I get to that, I, I just want to um, just get us uh, to also remind all of us that um, God says, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will all find rest for your souls. So um, I, I agree with um, Jade and Gerda that it's important at this stage in our history that, that we really need to listen and uh, be there for people. I think it's not just the job of... Um, of uh, you know people working in the mental uh, health um, field or, or special people i think it's all of us in the body of christ this is such an amazing opportunity that uh, we can use as a church to 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 enable the entire body to do that um and then I also just want to point out, I, I thought a lot about this uh, resilience thing, but I, I think at this stage we do really need resilience. But the word that I that spoke to me when I was thinking about it is steadfastness, which is, I think it's somewhere in James 1 or something. Um, and that says having an unshakable, immovable, constant core that is complete and enough, immovable, firmly fixed in place. And I like to uh, to to work with analogies to involve, um, you know, my entire brain, not just the, you know, the thinking logical side. And if I hear um, or think about steadfastness. I think of um, as um, I, I, that that scripture. I don't know if you know it. Uh, Isaiah fifty-seven. I set my face like flint. I will not be put to shame. And it's it's that almost like um, an act of faith in, uh, that we need now. And the image that I find useful, and I think. It's not one image that works for everybody, uh, but it's for me at this stage of what's happening, not just in our country, but in the world. It's almost as if I have the image of a, um, a tightrope walker and that I want to link with that Isaiah 50 verse 7, where 
you need to find a point and what is that point for you is that uh, and you need to focus on that otherwise you're going to lose your balance and is that point the size of the problems around you or is that and and giving it a, a lot of power and just speak about that or is that um is that point Christ and and scripture and I think we need to be busy with both narratives the listening narr- or, or the being there for each other and doing it as a body and not necessarily as qualified um uh, professionals or semi-professionals or what you want to call it and um then to, to to use this time as a time to motivate the body and each other to 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 really um become much more christ focused and not problem focused um so that is what i really that lives in my heart and with that the other thing that lives in my heart is um if if you look at uh, job for example job um if we have i'm not sure 36 37 chapters of uh, this conversation with the friends who were also just problem okay what's wrong with you let's dig what what did you do wrong just yeah let's just get that sorted out and then it, it was just as if uh, job just got more uh moodless and frustrated with everybody and job um job it it just didn't work their counseling but what 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 changed everything was when god said okay now you lot shut up and let me tell you and this is who i am and i think we need to get back to that place in, in, in as christians and when we speak about mental health uh, this is um it is true it's horrible i've i've got three very close people that committed suicide and another one unfortunately survived it so i'm not talking from you know from a pink cloud but as christians we need to to get back to the point where the the method is first of all and everything is birthed from that is mm-hmm. who is god and and if if we start to understand who this god is that we say that that we um what is the character of god that we worship everything starts to change because he does say and his word is still true at this stage he's although he doesn't feel like it seek me first and everything will be added so um and and so job is is and then there was this tremendous shift when job and the friends realized but um this is the god and then just the other thing that i have on my heart that i feel it must also be part of this uh a conversation is that um if you read <clears throat> um the psalms that david wrote uh, poor david um 
I, I, I'm not sure, but I think um, Saul almost make it his life job to chase poor David around. And I think there were about 18 or 20 chases or, or wars or whatever of trying to kill off David. And David then did what I said when I started talking. We need to express and say this is hard and it's heavy and God, where are you? But uh, the most wonderful little word uh, in, in scripture is oh, one of them for me is that little word that David always said, but. He would make this whole chudunta about the problem and how hard it is. And then sort of towards the end of his Psalms, more often than not, he, he ends it with, but God. And uh, and then he, he speaks about who God is and who uh, what uh, who God's um, um, yeah about God's character. And I think as Christians uh, working in the mental health field, we need to at this stage um, we need action in the body. Um, you know, we uh, I think if we work with people, it needs to be God centered. Um, it, it need, there needs to be action involved, and the action is a seeking first, because everything flows from that. Um, yeah, um, that is what, I, and, and then also the other thing is to, to really involve the body and, and start writing a narrative of let's be there for each other, other and equip people in um in practical ways of being there for each other. If you think of on a long-term basis, um, uh, and uh, if you really look at Christ, he had these 12 very, very, um, um, you know, simple people, if I understand the Bible correctly. And what he did was he, he, he walked with those people for three years. They ate and slept and do everything together. And um, those, if it wasn't for 11 of them, we wouldn't have been sitting here tonight and that we could have these conversations. And, um, yeah, we don't know what is ahead of us, but there was a very distinct shift um a spiritual shift, I think, and um, I, I think we will have to, yeah, um, which might force us to be more Christ-centered. Mm. Um, and then, if I say that, I just uh, say it in the context of, you know, I do work. I absolutely believe that you work. Um, body, soul, spirit, and also context. I think it's very important. I do use that a lot. <clears throat> and then I think it's very important also God made us creative human beings and that we start that, yeah, that we actually um, use that aspect of ourselves as well. Um, so, yeah, Mason, I we've really been struggling to get in and out, but that ask, you know, that is what I just feel I need to um, add to what has already been said.
Great. Thanks, Sandra. Yeah, I think those are amazing practical tips. And I think we spoke a lot about um, how to filter out um, the world's noise, but then how, what do we fill that, that space with? Um, and I think that the stuff that you touched on now, Anda, reading the word, um, shifting our focus to who God is and the truth of who he says he is, um, reminding ourselves that he's unshakable, that he remains steadfast, um, as you shared, and being there for one another, surrounding ourselves with friends and family, um, being active in doing things that, that fill our um our mind space with with things that are positive that we um, feel energized by with creating things i mean i know like you enjoy jewelry and crochet and all stuff like that um and expressing um the things that are inside of us outwardly and creating space for us to process the things that are mm. going on in our minds like you shared now as david did acknowledging our current space acknowledging how we feel in our current space mm. um, acknowledging how we perceive um, what's happening around us because how i perceive what's happening around us and how jade perceives it is different and mm. how i cope and manage it is different to how she copes and manages it but learning and talking about it i think helps all of us so thanks so much i think um having a Christ-centered focus on um, on dealing with anxiety and fear, like you mm. said, write down what about this makes you feel anxious, yeah. what about this makes you feel afraid, what about this makes you feel uncertain. And I think when you see that on paper, I mean, that's journaling, I suppose, also. Yeah. Um, but what is the truth? I think that's a, a great advantage we have as Christians is to know, but this is my reality and this is how I am currently feeling like David, like David did. Um, but what does God say? And how can I build myself up in the word? Um, you know, I think I'll, the next question, um, Jed, how do I manage my anxiety? How do I know when I need help? And what would the avenues be? I think that's, we can so often think, oh, but tea with my best friend is going to solve the world's problem, but problems, but Sometimes it does. Sometimes I need more than just my best friend. Mm. Sometimes I need to see a counselor. Sometimes I need to see a psychologist. Sometimes I need to see a psychiatrist. Just maybe you can help sh um, shed some light on that. So one thing that you mentioned about journaling. Um, so I actually have a challenge for all our listeners. I would like for you to just try and jot down 10 different feelings or 10 different um, emotions. And I think that you'd be alarmed to realize how poor we are at recognizing how we feel. Mm. We know the basics, happy, sad, angry, tired. Yeah. But they're so... They're frustrated. <laughs> frustrated. Frustrated. <laughs> nervous. Um, expectant these are also all feelings that we can have and something that we actually encourage in the therapy space and there's multiple resources also available there's there's apps i was actually just checking now um there's apple has apps um for thought diaries or you can literally google thought diary go to image print them that's that's a really good practical start to maybe even print one of those out and stick it in your journal and it, it looks at things like 
What am I feeling now? Where am I when I'm feeling this? What is the evidence to support this feeling? And then something practical that we can do in the moment is, and, and it's what we teach patients, well, not specifically me, <laughs> my job comes in more with, with medication, but in therapy, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy is starting to challenge those thoughts. So I am feeling anxious because I'm going to fail my exam. So what is the evidence for failing this exam? Um, maybe I haven't studied well enough. Maybe something happened last night and I didn't get enough sleep. Maybe I didn't register for the exam and so I actually can't write it in the first place. Fair. But what is the evidence against? Can I predict the future? Have I failed exams before? How many times have I ever failed this? How have I been doing over, over the semester? Does this suggest to me that I'm going to fail? And to actually start challenging our thoughts. And that's that's one way to get out of these kind of kind of loops um, of, of these negative automatic thoughts. It's just by challenging thoughts. And I'm, I'm happy to kind of send through a, a list of yes. the different types of negative thoughts and then um, different ways to kind of challenge that. And it's really about examining the evidence. Um, but certainly, I think if if one starts recognizing that this is becoming a constant pattern, um, and it's and it's really, as I mentioned earlier, starting to impact on your ability to perform optimally as you should be, mm -hmm. um, then that's probably really when when it's time to to seek counsel. I think it's always great to first point of calls just to speak to a friend someone that we trust mm -hmm. someone that loves us and that knows us because also a lot of the time we spend so much time stuck in our thoughts but mm -hmm. when we actually communicate our thoughts we're using a different part of our brain mm -hmm. and that is a motor part of our brain and so by acting out, out by speaking we're acting on the thought and that in itself already helps us to kind of start working through this and um, it also helps us to categorize our information better because when we're just thinking about things it's so easy to just become involved in the spider's web of thoughts but yeah. when we're talking we we talk about most of the time unless you, you know but circumstantial like i can be but talk about a point and talk about a point and that helps us to kind of clarify better about mm. what are the issues that we're actually dealing with um and certainly if if someone who you are accountable to or someone that knows you really well is also saying to you sure I, I really can see that you're really struggling and and I actually don't know how to help I, I can validate how you're feeling and I understand why you're feeling that way but I think it's starting to get a bit out of hand a really good place to start would definitely be in counseling um so specifically with anxiety Generally, you'd want to find someone who does what we call CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, because as the word says, it's our thoughts impacting our behavior. And so those types of therapists aim at reversing that. Um, generally, that's a good place to start when it becomes and, and we work quite closely, obviously, with psychologists and they will often refer onwards if they feel like actually this is really severe mm. the, the effect that this anxiety has on this individual is really severe we need to address it a lot quicker um, and then then there would be a role for medication 
or in the instance where perhaps it's not just anxiety, perhaps you also realize that you're actually depressed mm -hmm. as well. And, and then that would require kind of more intensive routes, like a, like a treatment route with, with certainly you can go to your GP first and GPs are licensed to treat um, major depressive disorders and, and generalized anxiety disorders. And they would also be a good place to start or even just to get a sounding board do you think I actually need to see a psychiatrist about this? Um, or do you think therapy would suffice? Okay. I don't know if I address that. Mm. Um, earlier you said that there are links between some, um, mm. some diagnosis. Um, what do you think the link is between anxiety and depression? So the two um, involve very similar pathways in the brain they involve very similar um, chemicals in the brain um, and they also involve specific areas of the brain so there are a lot of overlaps on a physical basis mm -hmm. between the two disorders um, but in addition to that a lot of the risk factors for anxiety are also going to be a lot of the risk factors for depression mm -hmm. um, and so the two do tend to go hand in hand obviously depression is is more the sad and irritable feeling where one begins to withdraw, perhaps you notice changes in your energy, your appetite, your sleep. Um, it also can have a lot of ruminating thoughts, mm -hmm. typically in depression. And obviously what's of great concern is these are these negative thoughts are more about, I'm worthless, my life is not worth living, there is no hope is no chance of this getting better and that then kind of spirals onto perhaps some suicidal thoughts and so that's typically the, the thoughts the kind of thought pattern that we'll see in depression whereas anxiety is more general day-to-day -day, everyday occurrences um in the absence of necessarily feeling really depressed so from a risk factor from a physiological and then as well from a treatment um, perspective, we do use similar medications because, as I mentioned, um, similar chemicals are involved. It's just got to do with whether you're having too much of, of certain chemicals causing you to feel anxious or whether you're having too little of the chemicals resulting in you kind of feeling flat and empty mm -hmm. and, and amotivated and really just struggling to yeah, kind of do anything. Okay. But I mean, they can also be talking about depression, but it can also be that, that you're just feeling sad or just down. Yes. So the depression is probably like the highest, the higher level where sometimes you just feel down or you're just not having yeah. a, a lack of day. So I think we're very used to saying, I feel depressed, but yeah. you're just feeling, you, you're not feeling lucky, you're not having a good day. And I think that is also the challenge um, where there are people that really have the di diagnosis of having depression. But it's not the same as just feeling yes. down. Yeah. Um, so I think that is also something in our minds that we probably have to kind of reprogram ourselves mm -hmm. to think about: Am I really just am I depressed or am I just down? You know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think when you when you're just down, there's probably more that you can do yeah. to help yourself out of that hole. Yeah. Um, you don't always need to, but when you're down, you can kind of do stuff like yes. we we're saying. You can journal. You can meet with a friend and just to change that. Almost, I almost must say that negativity into something positive mm -hmm. um so maybe you could just talk about just being down and depressed because the two isn't yeah, the same yes. and i think many of us feel depressed or we say <laughs> we're depressed but we're not really sure so as i said just like anxiousness is a normal feeling yeah. but 
having an anxiety disorder is not sadness is a normal feeling and yeah. very appropriate at many times but depression is is not and um when we talk about someone who's depressed generally kind of the, the characteristics of a person who's struggling with depression is even when there's kind of um pleasurable stimuli that are in their environment so say you're someone who really enjoys going for I want to say run, but I, I don't run. <laughs> so it, it will not be something enjoyable for me. But but I'll use that as an example. So someone who ordinarily loves running and experiences a sense of reward um, feels energized and uplifted by doing that. When they become depressed, there will be firstly no drive to do that and there'll be no reward from that activity. Similarly, even if good things are happening in the environment. They, they might be having a baby in the, in the case of like um, postpartum depression, those kinds of things, things that would ordinarily provide us with a great amount of joy um, and satisfaction. When someone's depressed, there's just, there's an inability to mm -hmm. respond to that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the feeling is irrespective of external stimuli. Usually when we feel sad, mm -hmm something's happened to cause us to feel sad. It's a yeah. reactive response. Mm -hmm. Depression, on the other hand, is is not reactive to anything. So mm -hmm. whether something bad happens or something good happens, the overall state of that person is feeling down. And then, as I briefly mentioned, it incorporates, so we also look for other symptoms. Generally, we say this feeling needs to last for two or more weeks where there has been no shift um, and no kind of feeling of reward with the addition of this person then withdrawing changes in their sleeping changes in their appetite as opposed to sadness which is often more short-lived in response to something mm. and quite appropriate um, mm. so someone would understand if someone's sad for two weeks two months two years after the loss of someone close someone might not understand when someone feels depressed when they've just got a job promotion they've just got engaged mm. and yet they struggle to show any kind of positive emotion so those would kind of be the, the flags to look out for okay. i think good. it's yeah. i think it's so good that you mentioned that now like hearing that feeling sad for two weeks can be intimidating but if we're feeling sad for two weeks or two months or two years after losing someone or having gone through a traumatic experience or whatever, um, or incident. Um, as Miranda shared last week, stages of grief and trauma and processing these can have different time periods mm. to recover that can be normal. Um, and us going through those different stages can be normal. So having a, a prolonged period of sadness after an event can be considered normal. Yeah. Um, I think that the key message is when it gets to that point that you can no longer function as you were okay. um mm. and this, the three areas that we always look at is um social so your relationships um occupational so whether you're a student or at work and then your independent function so your your own self-care um neglecting to eat sometimes just staying in your pajamas for two weeks if you're really depressed mm. so mm. so i think the key is always to identify when is this no longer okay it's when you mm. realize that i'm no longer functioning as yeah. as i was before this started yeah
Mm-hmm. And then that's time to mm-hmm. to maybe address yeah. those. Somebody asked a question, I don't cry, is something wrong with me? Um, I cry a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm maybe sorry. you could just <laughs> share. Um, I don't think so, no. I, I think crying is also a response just like anything else's. And, and I think what's important is not the manifestation of the emotion. What's what's the crux of the issue is whether or not you're dealing with the emotion. So if you're feeling sad, perhaps you're not crying, which is maybe like for some an automatic response, but are you still working through the sadness, allowing yourself to feel sad, um, comforting yourself in that mm-hmm. sadness? Are you happy? And I, I'm a happy cryer. <laughs> for example, I, I don't often cry when I'm very sad. Um, I cry more when I'm happy. So, so even for myself, it's, it's. I don't necessarily think it's a sign that you, like, cold or blunted or mm. not dealing with your emotions. I don't think the crying mm. is what's no, necessarily mm. important. Mm. It's, it's the navigating through, the the feeling or the root of the perceived emotion that we're meant to have if we're meant to cry because we're feeling sad are we actually working through our sadness or Mm. we're meant to cry because Mm. we grieved are we dealing with our grief and it's not so much about shouting crying giggling jumping Mm. up and down Mm. um those are also to a large extent kind of learned behaviors Mm. um and we're often taught those from young Mm. ages kind of ingrained into into our responses so no I, i I don't think so. I don't think that that that's something wrong. I think it's wrong if you're suppressing it mm. or if you're kind of condemning yourself when you want to cry and you're saying, I can't, I'm not allowed to cry because mm. crying is, I think, I think that's wrong. Okay. But not automatically crying when something happens. Maybe that's okay. just how yeah. you are. No, just your personality. <laughs> yeah. Before, um, before we spend a little bit more time on burnout, um, I'd just like to ask Anne if there's anything more about coping with anxiety that you could maybe share. Um, sure, I really like that also, Jay. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, I think I just want to link to what you said in terms of um, the crying is it's just getting it out, getting your emotions out, expressing your emotions, whether that's journaling whether that is even um, dancing, um, just expressing it, because it's energy that's built up in your body. Um, and that sometimes is very linked to pain or tension. So um, the big thing I would encourage people is to get your emotions out, whether it's talking to your friend, or as I said, journaling or dancing, just find a way to get it out. But um, yeah, dealing with anxiety. So, yeah, it's, I think a lot of people deal with it differently, but there is um, specific t- techniques and tools that I will um, also provide resources to Mizen. But um, yeah, I think a way for us to just deal with anxiety is being grounded, grounding yourself. Because a lot of the times when we get caught up with anxiety, uh, our emotional brain takes over to an extent and we can't make a wise decision or we kind of lose 
touch with reality. So it's very important for us in that moment to find skills and techniques to just ground us so that we can proceed in a way that is wise. So whether that is taking a cold shower. So temperature is a great way just to bring here and now to be mindful in the present. So whether that is going to the bathroom, putting some cold water on your face or taking an ice pack and putting ice on your face, that is just a way for you to um, be present. And then also what you could do for, and like there is a lot of apps online, I'll also share that with Melin um, for our resource, resource basket. But there's a really cool app. It's called Headspace. Um, and in this app, it's a guided breathing exercise. So just focusing your breathing, just slowing down your breathing. And um, that is also something that really, really does help with the anxiety so i would say if you struggle with anxiety generally um a nice way to just start your day is with um a guided breathing exercise on your way to work or before a meeting just learning the small behaviors or um coping mechanisms for every day um that will also just help ground you in your everyday yeah awesome. I, I was giggling because as you started, I, I wanted to actually ask if somebody can just share a little bit around grounding and then you did. So thanks, Anne. <laughs> um, oh, that's what I wanted to say. Um, just as a, a general note, um, just because we're sharing a lot of practical body tips like physical tips that we can do um, as natural people. It's not to say that we, we are advocating for a neglect of the spiritual yeah. um, and not, not advocating for, for praying and spending time in the word and spending time in community and gathering um, together as, as a congregation and worship. And those are all also ways of building yourself up. Um, those are also ways of processing a lot of things. Um, it's also a way to ground. I think it also helps a lot for, for grounding, just knowing what is the truth. What does God say still? What, what mm -hmm. still remains, even though everything around you has been shaken? Um, so I think, obviously, in church, we get a lot of advice on the spiritual side of things and a lot of teaching and a lot of resources. We just don't want to neglect the physical aspects and the practical tips and skills that we can give one another to to help each other and to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so please don't don't feel like we're neglecting that. We're just spending more time on that in these sessions because it's something that we don't speak about often. Um, then, as we start a topic of burnout, which I think um, a lot of us can relate to. I think a story <laughs> a few weeks ago, um, Jade and I were actually in, in the shop and we were standing in the queue and the lady was struggling to get um, that magnetic tag off the piece of clothing and she was banging it into the magnet thing the whole time. And generally, I'm fine. Generally, since I'm not, um, what I, I don't get sensory overstimulated oh, yeah, or whatever. Generally, I'm quite fine to block stuff like that out or whatever. And this day I was like, 
I've got to walk out. I can't stand you anymore. I'm going to go mad. Like I can't do this. Um, and I was, I was telling that to another friend and she said, you know, that's called burnout. Like when you're not able to cope with things you normally cope with, like you can't block it out and you're unable to function with a lot of stuff happening around you. Maybe that's not it, but <laughs> maybe you can talk about a little bit about um, burnout. What is it? How do I identify it? How should I respond to it? How can I prevent it? Um, so um, that's a very loaded thing. Interestingly, um, in general, it is, as I mentioned right in the beginning, it's like kind of coined in the 1970s, but of late, it's starting to really become something um, that's getting a lot of a medical focus. And, and it's not a disease or a disorder, um, but in the, in the international classification of diseases, which is kind of what doctors base all diagnoses on, it falls under a category of factors influencing healthcare and health status. Okay. So burnout is not, not necessarily a sickness. So that's the good news. Mm. <laughs> um, the bad news is when we don't recognize something as a sickness, we don't recognize a way to fix it necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and so it takes a lot of effort on ourselves. But basically what burnout is, is it's, it comes down to three things. Um, the first is mental and physical exhaustion. Um, the second then is, some people use the word negativism. I quite like the, the description of cynicism. Um, so having that negative outlook kind of that like very sarcastic tongue in cheek response to dealing with things. And, and the third thing and, and a big thing to be aware of, and I think it's at this point when people start realizing that they are burnt out is when they start feeling detached from other people. And, and sure. um, I think that that's, that also makes sense in, in terms of like a, a helping profession, because what we typically see um, is compassion fatigue. Um, mm. and where people start not caring about the outcome of <laughs> patients, etc. So that's where it originated. But certainly being detached is not necessarily detached from people, but detached from our feelings, detached from our family, um, detached from our previous enjoyment of something. So when it stops becoming a passion and just starts becoming a job and we, we're exhausted, but we kind of slave we, we become enslaved to what we're doing because why? Because we place that own sense of perfectionism on ourselves. So that's typically the cycle of how burnout starts. So people who are vulnerable tend to be people who are quite driven and perfectionistic. And so they start pushing for, for what they want to achieve. That leads to neglecting their needs, kind of silencing that voice of, Actually, I'm tired, I should go to sleep, or mm. no, I'm not going to work on a weekend. Mm. So we start pushing. As a result of then suppressing how we feel and neglecting our own needs, we start becoming more abrupt with people. It causes increased conflicts. There's also a thing about burnout being contagious. So when we start having conflict with people, the environment mm. around us becomes unpleasant, mm. and then it kind of starts the snowball. Um, things are unpleasant at work, so we then do what? We kind of either deny that things are as bad as they are or we withdraw completely. When we withdraw, we become isolated and that's then when the depression can... Yeah. So, so burnout often 
can in prolonged states lead to depression and it's kind of through that cycle where it's just prolonged um pushing ourselves neglecting our own self-care isolating from others mm. um that we then start because then like i mentioned when we spoke mm. about depression we don't enjoy what we're doing we don't perceive a sense of reward from what we're doing um, and it just becomes something that we do um and and i think any of those points obviously signs that to recognize that that's mm -hmm. happening and um, so when our energy for something that we're doing turns into exhaustion and when our optimism that we shared in a field becomes cynical and mm -hmm. um, and where the heart and soul that we had and the the kind of passion and the mm -hmm. compassion that we had for it becomes I'm just taking a step back and I'm doing this because I have to mm -hmm. and I'm not giving anything of myself personally into it anymore because I have nothing left to give. I think those are definitely if, if we recognize any of those changes, then we should start worrying about burnout and the solutions are always easier said than done. Um, but the number one recommendation is to take a step back. Um, and this becomes really difficult when we are working from home, mm -hmm. when there are deadlines, when we're working in overburdened systems, and it's almost like there isn't actually an escape. Mm -hmm. We don't can't control the situation when we're working on the ground, but decisions are made somewhere else by people who aren't necessarily involved um, in the day to day. And so it's, it's really difficult, but the recommendation is stop take a breath, reanalyze, and go back to what's urgent and important, what's mm -hmm. important, not urgent, urgent, not important, mm -hmm. not urgent, not important, set your boundaries, this is when I'm going to start, this is when I'm going to stop. Mm -hmm. Something else that's recommended is to remind yourself of why you first got involved with the specific talk. So, so mm -hmm. burnout, a difference between burnout and depression as well. So although burnout can lead to depression, burnout is occupation specific. So that's, that's an important mm. distinguisher to make yeah. um, by definition. And then depression is obviously mm. life, everything, yeah. all encompassing. Um, so then if you set your work hour boundaries and also, and you'll reprioritize, but then also to try and identify what it was that caused you to enjoy the specific field in the yeah. first place yeah. and to try and allocate an hour or so a week to reinvest in that or to relook even if you start from the ground again mm -hmm. and, and um start you know or or something that that's come up in medical journals obviously a lot of what i understand isn't related to is related to medicine but they recommend that when um senior doctors become burnt out which is kind of like inevitable that they then take on an academic role because when you're working with students and people who are in the beginning mm. of their, yes and they're excited yeah. about it and they're driven yeah. and they're enthusiastic that that can also help to rekindle kind of the love that you had for it and then something that that i said earlier and it sounds so silly but to be kind to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I often talk, we say like, we just need someone to validate ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, our emotions, but we also need to validate ourselves, say, mm -hmm. this is how I feel. It feels really bad, but it doesn't mean that I'm bad. It doesn't mean that I'm doing a bad job. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could do better. Let me look at how I can do better. Um, mm -hmm. But for now, 
actually what will be the best for me is if I put in a day's leave mm-hmm. or if I instead of meeting so-and-so for our weekly lunch date so mm-hmm. actually can we do this every second week yeah and I'm rather going to sit in my office and listen to music or, mm-hmm. or do something so those are just some practical yeah. kind of tips for mm-hmm. for addressing burnout sure. specifically and there okay. really is a huge role for social support okay. and by that I mean spending time with our friends um, it it releases happy hormones and it's really good for us mm. <laughs> to to kind of just have an outlet and yeah. remove from the situation where we mm. can maybe focus on different things and, and mm. fill our tanks. Thank you. Um, a, a really good resource um, or book um, that we're actually reading is a book called um, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Yes. Um, I think it, it touches on a lot of a lot of what you what you spoke about. It, mm-hmm. it obviously is from an angle of um, life in ministry, mm-hmm. but it, it addresses the same principles. Mm-hmm. Raised for the sake of endurance, mm-hmm. you want to be able to to live out your passion for as long as possible. Yeah. So rest so that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, don't isolate yourself. I think that's that's come up the whole time. Um, I, mm-hmm. I saw a quote today. I think that said. Um, hurt happens in community but healing also happens in community and Mm -hmm. healing doesn't necessarily take place in the community where you got hurt but Mm -hmm. it does happen in community so don't isolate yourself Um, and I think just the emphasis on rest I think God has been encouraging us a lot um, the past while and since since Heinrich and then we're here rest yeah resting it's, it's resting good. in god yeah there's there's so many elements to um, to rest where it's not just stopping your work there's more to it um yeah. i think that's also yeah. maybe a good topic to to talk about the last question i just want to ask Gerda. um maybe you could just share share some insights on this it was a question that we received um it's a tricky question <laughs> um the question is hope deferred makes the heart sick um i've recently experienced this in my life and it was so painful when something i hoped for in so long failed now it's difficult to trust the lord and sometimes i even blame him for what happened so my question is how does one recover from a sick heart after your hope was deferred and it's so difficult to get hope again and trust god again (laughs) <laughs> was, uh, you're giving me the difficult one. Um, <laughs> we'll back you up. <laughs> um, I was actually, um, the Holy Spirit reminded me um, this afternoon of the verse in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. It says, so no faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And um, a lot of times our faith just gets our faith in life and faith in, in God because we, um, we, we, we look with our eyes and we see and then faith just diminishes because we're not dependent on our faith when we, we walk by what we see and um, our hope gets deferred because reality kicks in and, and we just get disappointed in love, in, in, in hope. But um, what, what I realized this afternoon is that love is the one that's it's everlasting and that is the character of god he is everlasting and um when our faith gets despondent our hope gets deferred 
we can praise our trust in the love, the love of God, and that is everlasting. So um, I think so many times we we miss that. We say love is 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 um, the last one on the list, but that's almost the most important because all the others we can get sidetracked. But having that um, constant love of God, the love of um, our community. Um, I think that's really a, something that we need to hold on to in this time because that's God's love is not changing. It's never going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And um, I know a lot of people, their hope are so deferred and they said that they're um, disappointed in circumstances. In um, they lost a lot of people, lost people through COVID. Um, but we can still hold on to that love that God gives us. And um, Yes, that's the one steadfast thing that we can hold on to. And, and another thing that when our hope is deferred um, and we, we, we don't know where to go, and a lot of people say, did you pray about it? Yes, I did. So what did you do further about it? Did you, did you just pray and then stop? Um, I think there's something in actively waiting on God, not just petitioning and say, Father, this is what happened or this is what, I, what my need is is are you going to wait for the courage and the strength that he's going to give you to wait for that bread that you're asking for for and um it's it's i know it's hard in these times but that's that's something that we can really hold on to because it's not going to change god's love is not going to change he is the same and that is the one thing that's never going to change um our hope our faith may change but the love of God is not going to change. So um, holding on to that, I always encourage all the, the, the people that I speak to is that if you keep on holding on to the love of God, um, it, 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 it um, energizes you and it gives you, it brings back the hope and it brings back the faith because in ourselves, we cannot do it. We, I, you cannot bring back your own hope. You cannot bring your own faith back. There's a lot of stuff that we can do in the physically, but um, mm. only God can do the impossible and restoration of our spirit um, starts with God. Mm. We can we can do a lot of stuff in the physical realm. We can do a lot of in our mind, the way we think, our thoughts, mm. um, but our spirit is linked to God. And, and mm. I, that's, the, that's the, the bottom line. Mm. That's good. No, I think um, that that miracle that, that you're talking about that we're waiting for, sometimes we feel like that my heart is so hard and God, I don't even actually have have the desire to follow you anymore because I'm so disappointed and I'm so mm -hmm. disillusioned with this hope I had in you and I thought that you could and I thought that you would, but you didn't. Um, and I think it's so it's so important for us to acknowledge mm. that towards him and say, yeah. but God, actually, I'm disappointed and actually mm. I'm quite hurt. Um, and actually, this is I feel like I can't trust you anymore because God's not he's really not intimidated by by our feelings. I mean, David could read Psalms. And yeah. He was very expressive about how he felt, how he felt mm. and what his reality was. Um, I think a, a scripture that. It's really been encouraging me um, the past while. It's just Philippians 2 verse 13 
that says that it's God that gives us both the desire and the ability to follow him mm-hmm. and that he will bring to completion the work that he started in us. Um, and even, even those hard places in our hearts where we feel, I can't actually generate a desire or a trust or a hope in you mm-hmm. in this area. God, if you say that, that you'll give me the desire and ability to follow you mm-hmm. with my whole heart and to do what pleases you, then come and do that in my heart. Um, you know, and just in, in my heart, he has. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm not dead yet, so he's not finished. Um, but, you know, the scripture again is just Philippians 2, verse 13. Um, God is faithful to his word. Um, yeah. And we can trust him. We can trust him with that. And I think for me, I just get the idea that obviously when you feel like your heart is sick, and you somehow feel angry at God and you sometimes don't want to talk to God. I think that is also the thing that keeps you from experiencing that miracle of yeah. God coming to soften your heart because I think we try and do it ourselves, you know, but you can't manufacture a soft heart. The only way yeah. of doing it is to actually to go to God and to say, God, my heart is hard. Please help me. Mm-hmm. You're the only one who can do it. Mm-hmm. And really to trust God to do that kind of surgery in your heart yeah. to it feels like chiseling away the heart bits around your heart so that you can um, you know, restore, I mean, just to restore the disappointment. And I think God is actually the only one that can do it. But I think the key is to run to God and not away from God. I think that is what we always do. We run away like Adam and Eve. They ran away from God. They hid from God. They thought, no, just run away from him. But I think obviously from this question, you can see that you, you want, you still want to engage with God. Yeah. And I think that is the key is to yeah. continue engaging with God. Um, mm. And even sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes, you know, phone a friend, Mizen, mm. I know I have to do this. Mm. Pray with me. You know, mm. how can, and I think that also connects a lot with being in community. Yeah. Not trying just to, not suffering alone in your corner, you know, mm. but to trust people and say, listen, pray for me. I'm going through this. Uh, I don't know what to do, but please pray for me and yeah. and to to talk to someone that can keep you accountable. You know, um, because sometimes there's something in our lives that God needs to address, but we, we kind of just leave it there, brush over it, and just mm. go on. Mm. Um, but it's a lot like a lot of these things. If you don't deal with it, it's going to stay there. If you yeah. if you don't go to God and deal with your hard heart, it's going to remain mm. hard. So just engaging with that, engaging, doing something about it, knowing that there is something that can be done. It's not a lost cause. It's not mm-hmm. like, okay, give up now, you know, you don't have any more hope. Mm-hmm. Just keep engaging, um, yeah, and God will soften, soften your heart. Awesome. Um, yeah, we've, we've, <laughs> we've come to the end of this evening. <laughs> that went <you> know, <laughs> quick. Um, yeah, I think as, as we said... Yep, yep. Excuse. <laughs> there was okay. there was a question from um, Marie. Okay. Um, would some uh, some would advise to manage your expectations in order to avoid disappointments? Any thoughts? That was her question, and that's actually something that I might have just wanted to touch on. Um, and it's also what Handa shared about just mm. as a church being there for one another and supporting one another. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we yeah, can. Yeah. We can. Too. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and it's also just something that I wanted to touch on is that it whole thing about expectations and us in a church setting being there for one another. And I think it also links with boundaries. 
is um, communicating your need to whether people in your community, whether it's friends, small group, it is saying, this is my expectation, or this is my need from you. This is what I'm feeling, and how, this is how I need you to support me, or how can support look like at this moment? Because a lot of times, I think that whole thing of disappointment and maybe some offense can creep in, um, because also everyone has the capacity. Everyone in your small group or in your circle they also have things that are filling them. So having that conversation, saying, I'm needing you to do or be this person in my life, X, Y, Z, or I need you to pray with me, X, Y, and Z. Um, and not just sometimes leaving it in the air and saying, but you're my friend, you should know that this is, this is how we should do it. It's actually verbalizing it and saying, I need this from you. So I think that's just something that is important, especially in, the current time that we are where everyone is just trying to do the best that they can with what yeah. they have yeah. thanks Anne. thanks i think you would like to share something about hope i think maybe um yeah i think maybe we can just give opportunity yeah. to henny and then um and then henny i think you can you can close for us in prayer yes yeah. Yeah. um thanks to the panel for for being here and thank you everyone for joining this evening um, Henny, yeah. you're welcome to. Okay, before before before, before Henny, I just want to say, like Mezin was saying, that we've got the resource list, um, and I think Jade and Anne they will send us some more things that you, that. Um, so John keeps being kicked out. They'll send us some more things that we can add to our resource list. Mm -hmm. um, but quite a few of the ladies, like Gerda and Handa and Anne, are also available. Um, to talk to if you guys would like to talk to them. Um, I put their email addresses on the resource list as well. Um, and also Miranda that was here last week, they are available. So if you um, feel you need still to talk to someone, there's something that's on your heart, um, please contact us and get the list from us. Um, there's quite, there's not just people in our church. I think some people also feel a little bit awkward to talk to people in the church that see them every week but there are also other counselors on the list that are not in our church um, there are some people in pretoria different areas um, so contact us for the list and we'll send it to you um, i think the important thing is to get help um, not to think you must be a christian and just handle everything and deal yeah. with it um, get help talk to someone it's not wrong um, God says let's reason together so we can also reason with other people and talk about the stuff that's happening in our lives. Um, yeah, so please contact us. You can send us an email as well on, on the church's email address or you can just go to Linktree and just um, click on the tab that says contact us. So Henny, if you can um, share about hope. Thanks, thanks Rachel. I hope you guys can hear me okay. Um, I actually just wanted to say something quickly about anxiety and then about hope. Um, I, I just want to sort of add, uh, I think one of our most underutilized resources when it comes to anxiety is, is prayer. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the scripture in, in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, uh, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding of God, your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, and, you know, we often 
it's, I think it's very good, for instance, to talk to counselors and um, uh, professionals. Sometimes you, you dig yourself into an anxiety hole that you cannot get out by yourself and you need someone to walk a road with you. And that's very important. Um, uh, and the same can be said, uh, you know, about fellow Christians, walking with fellow Christians, they can help you. Um, but neither counselors nor fellow Christians can be with you all the time. The only one who can be with you all the time is the Lord. And the only one with whom you can in everything, um, you know, unload uh, is, is with God. And, um, you know, I think when it comes to our anxieties, we can, we can turn our anxieties into prayer and then God will exchange it basically for peace. Um, and, and I think long term, um, you know, uh, if we don't pray, then we always run the risk of slipping, sliding down into anxiety about things. If we don't bring things to God and unload in prayer to God constantly, and we carry those things ourselves, then, then you know, we will tend to, to become anxious about them eventually. So I just, just want to recommend that scripture, you know, um, Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, and, and constantly unloading to God, our anxieties to God in prayer. Um, on the one hand, and then in terms of hope, um, I, I, I think there are, there are, when hope is deferred, uh, when we are disappointed, um, you know, the, the problem can be, um, you know, a few things. Number one, we, we, we might be hoping for the wrong thing. We might be hoping for something that God has, for instance, never promised. It's a hope in God specifically. Or we might be hoping for something that God has indeed promised, but that we expect him to fulfill in a way or in a time frame that he has not promised, um, you know, uh, and, and then we get disappointed because our expectation is wrong. Um, and, you know, obviously if it's something that we hope for that we, that from God and, and we're disappointed in God, um, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. So then it usually tells us we are hoping for something wrong. And then, and then we, we must just replace that false hope with a, with a correct hope. Uh, go to God and say, Lord, you know, what, what, what in terms of what I was hoping for was misplaced and how can I correctly place that hope uh, in you? But, um, of course, it's not only uh, in God that we hope, when God's promises and, in, in, you know, expectations that we have of God, we also have expectations of ourselves and of one another. Um, and, and sometimes we let ourselves down and sometimes we let one another down. Um, you know, um, for instance, some of God's promises that we sometimes hope in are not they're conditional promises. So God genuinely gives the promise, but we, in a sense, sabotage ourselves um, by, by not fulfilling the conditions um, of, of the promise. So. You know, when our, when our hope is deferred, I think one of the most important things to do is just to go and, go and check, you know, what were we hoping in? Um, and was that hope misplaced? Were we maybe putting hope in another person that was not justified? Or were we hoping in a promise that God had never given us? Or were we hoping um, in a conditional promise as though it was were an unconditional promise? Um, and, and, and then making that change. Because if you hope for the right things um, in the right way, then, then you, you avoid um, disappointment in, in that sense.
but I, I, I do also think that it's almost inevitable that we will disappoint one another and we will disappoint ourselves. Um, and, and, and that is, is you know, is, is, there's a different way of dealing with that. Okay, I think that's all I have to say about it. So, Mason, um, I think you said I must close in prayer. So uh, let's close our eyes and, and pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that, um, that Lord, we can come to you, Lord, as whole, whole, as whole human beings, spirit, soul, and body, um, and that your word, Lord, and, and just the wisdom, the truth about ourselves that, that we can discover, Lord, through your word and through learning, Lord God, Lord, that that can be very helpful, Lord God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to be a community, Lord, as, as your church, to be a community that, that walks in, Lord, that wisdom, Lord God, that, that walks in your ways, Lord God, um, and that, that is able to show the world a different way of living, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be robust and resilient and steadfast, Lord, especially in these difficult times, Lord. Lord, and that we'll show the world that there's a different way of, of living, Lord. Um, we, we just come and consecrate ourselves to you, and we, we just declare our dependence on you, Lord God, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to continue to grow in all of these things. And we pray, Lord, that you'll give us the grace and that you'll continue to work in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> thank you everybody um, you're welcome to send us an email if you have any more questions um, but have a great evening and thank you for joining thank you good night bye bye everyone bye thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg may the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good for more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.